Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Thursday, May 20th, and you're tuned in to the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes, our tribe beat writer. Fresh off the plane from, uh, you <laughs> took a red eye home after the Indians uh, won their second straight, uh, beating the Los Angeles Angels 3-2, to beating Shohei Otani and the Los Angeles Angels uh, in Anaheim. Uh, Hoynesy, what do you take away from this road trip after, you know, the Indians got to be feeling a little bit better about themselves after losing four in a row and then uh, being able to come back. And uh, apparently Shohei Otani is not invincible. Yeah. I thought it was, that was a big win last night. I thought, you know, you, you, you're respectable instead of, you know, kind of really, you know, coming out to coming, going out to the West coast and really getting hammered. You, you, you know, you come home, you're, you know, three and four on a seven game trip and, uh, and especially after looking so flat against Seattle, you know, you win the first game and then lose three in a row. Uh, and I really liked the way, um, you know, I, I don't know if it was just me or, but I, I liked the way Savali and, uh, and Jose Ramirez kind of responded to uh, playing a guy like Otani, you know, it's, it, it seems like the best kind of brings out the best in, in, uh, in this team. And that was, uh, that was an interesting, uh, interesting comparison. I thought. Yeah. Yeah, we asked we asked his teammates afterwards about, you know, hey, Shoei Otani got all the headlines going into the game, but we asked Aaron Savali's teammates about how Savali responded to the challenge, and he said, you know, and they all, to a man, they said, he backs down from nobody. I mean, he doesn't have the 98-mile-an-hour fastball. He doesn't have all of the, you know, the the metrics and this and that, but he he goes out there and he competes his his, his – to the best of his ability and he gives you innings and you saw that last night he didn't back down from anybody and again this is an angels lineup that didn't have mike trout and yeah you know and only only had to face otani you know a couple of times because they did do that double switch where after he left the game in the fifth inning uh on the mound he, he went out to the outfield and, and got an extra at bat there but you know i i I still think, like you said, this was a game where the Indians sort of showed that uh, that's who they are. That's their, that's their team DNA. They're, they're going to compete to the last out. Yeah. And Savali, you know, told reporters that, you know, he said he's done this his whole career. He likes to go against the other team's best guy or whoever, you know, like a big name, a big name opponent. 
uh, that fires him up and he likes the underdog role. And, and he certainly pitched like it last night. And I thought, uh, you know, we saw, you know, a couple other sides of uh, Jose Ramirez's game last night that, you know, you forget about, you know, one, he's, he's a pretty good third baseman, you know, that, you know, right away in the first, I think the first inning, he made a nice play on a line drive, I think. Or he robbed second. Otani. On, uh, yeah, exactly. About five feet in the air, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he steals two bases. Um, you know, we haven't seen him run a whole, a whole lot this, this year. Uh, you know, you, we've associated him so much with hitting home runs late that you forget that there's other elements to his game. Both of Ramirez's stolen bases led directly to runs for the Indians. His, his steal in the first inning put him in scoring position. He came around and scored for uh, on a on a, a double by Framil Reyes. And then late in the game, in the in the sixth inning, he steals third base. He goes from second to third, and and that forces the Angels to bring the infield in and gives um, Josh Naylor a chance to drive him in. Yeah, and uh, Tito said that, you know, uh, when he gets on third base, he changes the whole dynamic of that inning and, and maybe the game because they they got to respect, you know, his speed there. You know, you bring infield in, you create holes, and, uh, you know, Naylor deflected one off the pitcher and uh, and found one. And, uh, you know, second night in a row that Naylor has, uh, you know, driven in the, what proved to be the, the uh, winning run. And uh, And he was – he was kind of, he's kind of an interesting act out in the right field, isn't he? Yeah. The, uh, the play in the eighth inning where he, he, he basically played a ball that was a, a sinking line drive uh, base hit. He played it into a fielder's choice because uh, by going into like a, a little bit of a hook slide and, and picking the ball in a short hop, he made Kurt Suzuki freeze at first base. And uh, it was actually an easy, easy play for him to get up and throw him out at second uh, once he picked the ball clean off the outfield. Uh, and that really, you go from having, instead of first and second with nobody out, you've got um, just first base with an out, and you can sort of manage that inning a little bit better. Uh, how refreshing was it to see uh, and to hear Josh Naylor say, yeah, once Hosey got to third base in the in the sixth, uh, I changed my approach. All I had to do was get the barrel to the ball and, and yeah. hit it hard somewhere. And we get a run that that's a different philosophy than what we're used to seeing out of hitters nowadays uh, in, in the, the, you know, the three true outcomes era, uh, Josh Naylor shortened up, punched a ball to the left side, uh, got the, the RBI and the Indians went on and won. Yeah. You know, and the night before he hits a home run and, and uh, accomplishes the same thing. So you got, you kind of saw his uh, short and long game there. So, that was encouraging, and and earlier in the earlier in the uh, um, earlier in the game in the uh, third inning, you know David Fletcher. Did you think uh, he should have had that triple? I mean that that he hit over Naylor's head. I, I, I know, thought Tito was talking. Said that it, it seemed like that was a, a kind of a point of uh, discussion with him. It didn't seem like he. I don't know. I, it, I think a couple of things come into play there. Uh, I think the sun in at, at that time of day in right field at that ballpark uh, in uh, yeah, know, it's makes bad. It a little more difficult. And also that ball was one of those one of those knucklers that was sort of hit right at him on a line drive. He he took a couple of steps in, then broke back. Uh, so yeah, I, again, you you get the the 
you get the salty and the sweet. You get both with uh, with Josh Naylor, but uh, I think he's he's gonna get more and he's gonna keep getting opportunities to play uh, on a regular basis because he's showing that if you give him chances, he's gonna come through more times than not. Yeah, and you know he's he's doing that against lefties and righties, you know. Uh, so uh, and he's pretty much played that the whole year, right? I don't think he's been platooned much. Yeah. And he plays pretty much every, uh, pretty much every day. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the case. So you got to see, and, and he's managing to keep some, some other guys from getting opportunities to play, which is, which is what the, he's basically defending that position himself. He, he's taken it and he's, he knows that he's going to get the chance. I, I see him as a, as the right fielder for, for the near future. That's, Definitely. Be. What do you what do you think of uh, the way uh, Francona used uh, Class A and Karen Check last night? That was uh, interesting. Uh, and you, you've got Karen Check out there uh, to close it out. He, he said uh, because he he flip flopped it, I guess because he there were left handers coming up in the in the ninth inning, and that's what he wanted Karen Check. It, it just seems to me like Tito's going the extra mile and, and out of his way to, to sort of not name a closer is, is what he's trying to do. But uh, Karen check, he wanted him to face left-handers uh, in the ninth inning because he thought he had a little bit more of an advantage in that situation. So uh, he flip-flopped the, the roles that they're normally in. Yeah. What, to what grit, what a, great thing for a manager to have like two of the two guys like that usually you know you're dying for one and now you got two of them uh you know two guys that throw close to 100 and uh they're both right-handers I mean I guess the ideal thing would be a lefty and a righty but Mm -hmm. uh you got two right-handers and you can flip-flop them you know on a moment's notice it seems yeah and and I think he recognizes that maybe right now Karen Chak has a little bit more swing and miss stuff uh, because the curveball is so good, I think Class A maybe pitches a little bit more to contact because his stuff is straight and and uh, uh, can be straight more often. And yeah. uh, you know, guys can can get the barrel on the or can get the bat on the ball against him a little bit more. I think ultimately, Class A is the one that you would want to have as your setup guy and Karen Check be your your closer just because of that swing and miss ability that he has. But that's that's a great point, Joe. I was thinking about uh, what Antonetti said a couple of days ago that sometimes you like Karen Check in like a tenth inning situation when you got that ghost runner on second base mm-hmm. and he can come in there and just like you said, you know, use that uh, curveball or his fastball, whatever those two pitches to to get the strikeouts and where where that guy isn't going to advance. Right, and it generally the the command had been really good early on in the season for class a where as of his last you know maybe four or five outings he's he sort of struggled with the with being as pinpoint as he was so again and and tito's always going to go back to it he's 23 years old he missed a year of development you know what he's been able to accomplish to this point has been remarkable because of that so i think bouncing back and forth between those different roles Probably isn't you know the ideal situation for for these guys, but I think Tito's making it work. You just have to trust that 
This is a guy who has a track record of knowing how to use use his bullpen to the best yeah. of his ability. And you've, you've just got to trust that he knows what he's doing. And, I mean, it, you know, that's that seems like, uh, you know, I, I like the suggestion you had, uh, you wrote today. Uh, we had talked about it a little bit, but, uh, you know, using Sandlin as an opener, you know, because, you know, what other bullpen could you do that with? You know, we had such a valuable guy that, you know, has fit into that middle, you know, sixth, seventh inning role so perfectly. Uh, but the bullpen is so strong that, okay, if it's, you know, you could, you, you might be able to use him as an opener and then maybe stick Whitgren in, in that, in that spot right. or something like that. Or, or yeah, because you've got Whitgren and Shaw and what they've been able to do, you're, you're more flexible with, I, I, if they were desperate, if, if Shaw and Whitgren weren't having the seasons that they're having, I think you would definitely want Sandlin for that, you know, sixth or seventh inning sort of bridge to get to the late inning guys because of the way he's, he's been able to, to get guys out. But now you can be a little more flexible with him and, and use him in spots that, that you wouldn't normally think of uh, just because Shaw, I mean, I, there's no explanation for what Shaw has been able to, be, to, to do. There's nobody, nobody goes to Colorado ruins his career as a reliever and then comes <laughs> back and has this much success that he's, that he's had. Uh, it's just been outstanding. And I think the Indians are, are, are pretty pleased with the, the decisions they've made. Yeah. I don't know what he did. Did he uh, sell his soul to, to the devil? What What's going on here? I mean, it's just, uh, you know, he's, re he's reinvented himself and he's thrown harder now than he, well, almost just as hard, maybe a little harder a couple ticks harder in different situations, but he's throwing changeups now. Where did, where did this is unbelievable. It's, and to be doing it not, and not that he's an older guy, but he's a veteran. He's been doing this for a long time and yeah. to now be reinventing yourself the way he has. Uh, it's just amazing. So yeah, uh, the bullpen, definitely a source of, you know, sort of positive energy on this team. Uh, now you just need the uh, the lineup to sort of catch up and 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 join them. Uh, hopefully, the the weather is warmer. They're back in town. Uh, should be some some you know decent games and decent weather uh, you know opportunities for them to play. So we'll see if the offense can get on track here uh, in in Cleveland. There's never been a better time to register for Indian subtext and get all your Cleveland Indians news with updates from Cleveland.com reporters Paul Hoynes and Joe Noga. Get on board now by going to joinsubtext.com slash Cleveland Indians. Our subscriber-based service gives you the latest news, analysis, and more from the Indians. For $3.99 a month, you get everything we're hearing from the team and the first word before things are announced. We text you big breaking news directly to your phone, even before it's up on cleveland.com. And you can text us directly with your questions and opinions on everything from the team's name to that day's lineup. And it's the only way to get your questions and comments on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. Why sign up? Hear from one of our subscribers. I'm uh, Jeff Heinerson. I grew up there in Milan, Ohio, but I now live out in Idaho. I've been here for 40 years and uh, my son was born and raised here and I got him as a birthday present, uh, your subtext. And I wanted to thank Paul for sending him a birthday greeting and to tell you that he is really enjoying the subtext. He even he's not from Ohio, but because he grew up with me, he's hardcore 
Indian fan. So thanks again. Jeff and all of our Indian subtext subscribers agree. There's a lot going on with the Indians, and the best way to keep up is with Indian subtext. Go to joinsubtext.com slash Cleveland Indians, or better yet, text Hoinsey at 216-208-4346. Again, that's 216-208-4346. We look forward to hearing from you on Indian subtext. I, I, I know you just stepped off the plane. I know you just got home. Uh, in the in the hours that you were in the air, there were no no hitters thrown in Major League <laughs> Baseball in the the time between while you were uh, on your flight. Uh, just to make that clear. Uh, however, you know we're up to six already because Corey Kluber uh, came out and threw one for the Yankees against Texas. Just sort of remarkable that what. We're, now it's a, a matter of every night we sit there and when, when these alerts come across, hey, so-and-so has a no-hitter. But you looked at the alert last night and it was like, oh, it's Corey Kluber. Uh, <laughs> were you stunned by this? I, I was stunned. I was really stunned. I saw the alert and I didn't put two and two together that uh, it was Kluber. I just thought it must be Garrett Cole or somebody, you know, throwing, throwing the no or going for the no-no. And then, uh, you know, to hear, uh, you know, I heard uh, Francona talking about it, you know, in the uh, post game. Andre asked him about it, and uh, just I was really happy for uh, for Kluber. I mean, just think what this guy's been through. Basically, he hasn't pitched for two years. Mm-hmm. Didn't pitch last year in the, in the short season. Two years ago, he what? He had the broken forearm. Then he had the uh, uh, the oblique. He really what, made eight starts for the Indians. Uh, and to do it against Texas, the team he pitched one inning for last year before raising, you know, before he hurt his shoulder. I mean, that's just so ironic. Yeah, it's on the mound where he he had last pitched, you know, uh, you know, one inning for the, the Rangers uh, after the Indians traded him there. Uh, just it was to see Tito genuinely happy for him was was nice. Uh, I, I guess he, he resorts to that same line that he says. Anytime he faces a, a, a player that, uh, you know, he had had success with the, with the Indians, you know, just because the uniform changes, they don't lose affection for that guy. I think that that can be definitely said about Corey Kluber. The, everybody in the, in the Indians organization uh, really feels strongly about him. Uh, just to know that Kluber still has that in the tank, though, that's, that's impressive. Uh, this is a, a big year for him sort of, to, to be able to prove to people, maybe, maybe he's earning his next contract here. Uh, uh, even though he's, he's, you know, no spring chicken. Yeah. What's he 33, 34, maybe. I think he's 34 years old. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he started this year slowly, but if you look at his last three or four starts, Joe, he's, he's thrown like the Kluber of old. He's putting those innings together, scoreless innings together. The strikeouts are going up. Um, that would be what a great story that would be if he. It, well, it's a great story right now, just throwing the no hitter, right after what he's been through. But uh, if he could have, you know, come back and and have what, uh, you know, a, you know, a strong season for the Yankees. I mean, that would be that would be a really fun a fun story to uh, to watch unfold. So Corey Kluber, probably the most recognized or or you know, uh, relatable name of among the the six guys that have have thrown no hitters. If you don't count Madison Bumgarner and his seven inning, no hitter. Uh, you know, if you had told me Kluber throwing no hitter this season, I might've believed you more than say a Wade Miley or a Spencer Turnbull. Uh, 
is the no hitter, you know, sort of losing its uh, cachet? Is it is it losing its value? I guess because it, apparently everybody but the Indians can throw one now. <laughs> yeah, that I you know that's a great question. I think it's always going to be special because you know we've you know I, I, we've covered baseball for a long time and you just don't see it. And you've covered they, baseball they come for in, a long time, Hoinsey. Come on, let's be honest. Yeah. You've covered baseball for a long time. Yeah. But, They've, you know, it comes in bunches, I guess, but what the most, most no hitters in one year since seven. 1900 is seven, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and we're at six. Right. Yeah, we're six. So, you know, it, <laughs> so I don't know. I think, you know, uh, you know, Francona has talked about it, you know, the, the change in offense, the change in hitting hitters approach um, has, has played into this. I think obviously it's played into it. You know, the, no, but no, you know, the, the uh, drop in contact, the, uh, the rise of the, the launch angle and the, and the all or nothing swing and strikeouts are, you know, not frowned upon as much as they were before. We, you know, all that has helped uh, help pitchers, I think, you know, and, uh, you know, and what, what Antonetti said a couple, a couple of days ago, all the adva- advancements right now, it seems to be, have been on the pitching side. Mm-hmm. We really haven't seen you know, the, those secret weapons unveiled, all the statistical weapons unveiled uh, for, for hitters. And, you know, will that be the next step? But, you know, hitters have, have to find a way to uh, combat this. Well, no, the next step, I think, is, it, it, is you're, you're seeing it already with the league, uh, with the minor leagues. Uh, they're going to start changing the rules. They're going to start tailoring the rules of the game to to level the playing. Not, not to level it, but to, just to balance it. Uh, you're going to see shifts prohibited. You're going to see the the possibility of the mound either being lowered or uh, the, the rubber drop back a, a foot or two. Uh, that that is very real. We could we could see sixty feet six inches go away really quick uh, if 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 this sort of dominance is is allowed to continue. Uh, yeah. What and what about bigger bases? You know, I never thought I mean, what. What's the difference? Does that really make a big, bigger difference in the bigger bases is a safety measure as well as, uh, you know, to, to increase the, the, the frequency of infield hits. I, you've, you've got, you know, X amount of uh, space less to cover. If if you increase the the bases by a couple of inches, you're going to see hits go up slightly. It'll over time, it'll happen. Uh, I can understand that, but but yeah, I, I think more more importantly will be the requiring infielders to be, you know, two feet on the dirt when the pitch is thrown, or requiring two infielders to either side of the base, uh, second base. Yeah. Uh, I think both of those rules, which are in play right now at different levels of the minor leagues, and as we see how those affect offenses in those leagues, uh, it, it's that's how they're going to get at this idea of you know and and think about it if, if either of those two rules were in play uh last night's final out for Corey Kluber wouldn't have uh you know been a thing because Gliber Torres uh fielded the last out of the the shortstop for for the Yankees fielded the last out on the second base side of of the bag uh because of the overshift so uh you know and I, I'm not saying that wouldn't have been a hit had had the the rule been in place but you know who knows. So again, some of these no hitters might not have happened had the, had had this happened. 
That's a great point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I just think you think of when you think of the shift, you think about the second baseman or whoever playing in, in shallow right field, uh, you know, taking away hit after hit after hit away from left-handed pull hitters. You know? Well, and you, you've also got the shortstop playing up the middle then, if that's the case. And right. Taking yeah. away ground balls up the middle. So, all right. Well, yeah, the uh, Corey Kluber throws a no hitter. Of course, it's not for the Indians. Of course, the Indians are still more than 40 years from. Uh, I've, I've seen, I've literally seen two no-hitters in person this year, and neither one of them for the, uh, I, uh, 45 years old, I've, I've never seen the Indians throw a no-hitter in person. Uh, one of these days, it's going to happen, Hoinsey. It has to. Statistically, it just has to happen, right? It has to happen. You would think. I don't know. They still haven't won a World Series since 1948, oh, wow. so <laughs> we're I, still waiting on that one. <laughs> baby steps. We'll start with the no hitter, and then we'll That's go right, right to the, uh, and then we'll go right to it. All right, Hoinsey, we will be back uh, tomorrow to wrap up the week here on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast uh, as the Indians open a series against the Twins. We'll talk to you then. All right, Joe.